Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you made a horror movie on your phone or made your own effects uh, MacGyver style, please send it my way. Well, what do you get when you have a supermodel turned actress showing a ton of boob and barely any acting? Why, you get the film Species. Well, after the debacle that was the last episode and having to find my way out of that damn bunker, uh, I'm back with another winner. Species itself will always hold a special place in my heart as a big embarrassment to me. Now, this is not because I was embarrassed to sit in the theater and watch it, but really because of how I saw it. See, the film was released back in 1995 and I was the young old age of 15. Man, I feel really old now. Well, seeing the previews on TV, I was really excited to see this sci-fi horror flick. Now, what I didn't know what was going to happen, uh, and really, I didn't know what this film was truly about. Maybe it was because I only saw the TV spots and not really a full-fledged trailer, or that my young teenage mind just didn't realize the hints that were be given uh, throughout each spot. I mean, come on, the trailer points more to a science experiment gone wrong than an alien hybrid just going out to bang someone to get pregnant. How was I to know that the alien was going to be one of these preteen Mori guests who only wants to have a baby no matter what? Even then, how was I to know the amount of nudity that was going to be in this film, as well as seeing Alfred Molina getting some, which would end up being... You know, a big scary moment for me and scarring me from sex for some time. So, without this knowledge, I begged my parents to let me see this R-rated flick. To the point that my sister, she decided that she wanted to stay home because she had no interest in seeing it. And both my mom and my dad took me to see the schlock. Now, imagine my face when the first set of boobs pop up. Imagine my face at the end of the film after everything has gone down and my parents believing that the only reason I wanted to see this film was because it was so close to being a Skinamax movie as possible. I just remember saying, I didn't know, I'm sorry, and whatever my teenage mind could think of to prove that I had no idea that the amount of nudity this film was going to have. This isn't to say that I didn't enjoy that aspect. (laughs) Fuck, I was 15-year-old horndog as it was. It's just that the most 
awkward experience is to have to see these scenes and then look at the disgust that was on my folks' face while watching the film. I think it must have slumped down to the bottom of my theater seat, possibly on the floor trying to hide my teen boner with shame. But really enough about my sordid teenage past, let's get on to the softcore love fest that is Species. The first thing that you're going to notice is the shitty title card sequence. It literally jumps to the title card and then gives us the cast. And this is the first couple moments of the film. You've got some power actors in here like Ben Kingsley and Alfred Molina. And then you have Forrest Whitaker and Michael Madsen. As well as the debut of Natasta Henstridge, who was a fashion model at the time. And in this movie is making her acting, and I do use that term loosely, debut. It should have been her first and last movie, but of course, there were more species sequels to make. It might be fun one day to go through her catalog and realize how many shitty horror movies she's been in, but I'm not sure there's enough time in the day to really go through all that. Also, H.R. Geiger did the designs for the alien in this movie. I just hope it doesn't look similar to some xenomorph that he's famous for. Following these credits, we get a shot of the SETI satellites and we open upon a lab where there's a young girl inside of an isolation chamber. There's also a couple of cards to kind of explain what SETI is and what they did. And, you know, they go by pretty quick. Maybe you don't catch them. Maybe you do. Or maybe because I wasn't paying as much attention as I should. Now, that girl that's in that isolation chamber looks really familiar. Hold on, let's... Let's look that up real fast. Okay, gonna go here and go there. Oh, whoa, it's a young Michelle Williams. Well, I'm glad that they just didn't tarnish her great career. And looking up from the rafters on down this isolation chamber is Ben Kingsley's character, Fitch. And he's looking down her awfully weird. It's not quite like a fatherly look, nor is it quite like a creeper look. Like he's like looking at her like, yeah, when she grows up, that's mine. Or like, that's the daughter I never had. It's just kind of like, I don't know. It's actually, it's like the rest of this acting in this fine film. Well, as he's looking down at her, some guys in hazmat suits come over to the chamber and begin to pump in cyanide gas. What? Why are they trying to kill this little girl already? I mean, did she do something terrible like eating all the Pop-Tarts in the cupboard without asking? Did she try to eat the family dog? Oh, I know, she got another role in a better film and was trying to find an easy way out of this one. Fitch looks on as she's getting gas, and then he comes out and says, I'm sorry. To which the young girl kind of mouths back to him. You're sorry? Really? You're going to kill this girl for some reason that you never really explained and you're sorry? Get the fuck out of here with that. That tear you got rolling down your cheek doesn't convince me that you care for this girl, nor does that wooden acting that you're portraying. This is a great way to start a film, with child murder. Well, while the gas fills the chamber, the girl manages to bust out the glass. Fuck, she's strong. Maybe they should kill her. And then the men in the suit start to breathe in the gas. Wait, wait, wait a second. I thought they were in hazmat suits, and it, that shit shouldn't happen. While they're being gassed out, she managed to escape. The military then begins to chase her, but they can't really catch up to her with their helicopters and jeeps and cars. They must have gotten the bottom of the barrel of 
the military to protect people against this type of thing. I wonder if on the application they had the question, are you okay with killing a child if they escape? I imagine that they just gave the job to anyone who answered yes to that question. Well, she manages to hit her, hitch a ride on a freight train like a bum and eludes the people that are chasing her. She has a nightmare of sorts featuring alien boob front and center that involves alien sex and some guy with weird silver teeth. The guy turns out to be a hobo on the train that she tosses the shit out of and manages to break his back in half, twisting him completely. I believe this is only to show her strength at such a young age, but really, I think it's kind of pointless. You don't need to kill a hobo for no reason. It cuts back to Fitch's men talking about the obvious. A couple of trains came through here around about the time she escaped. You think she could have gotten this far in that time? Is she that fast? She's that fast. It's now daytime and our little girl, Syl, whose name we'll soon learn, but it's easier for me to call her this from now on, is learning things like how money and credit cards work by watching people use them. You can tell that this film is pretty old when they bring out that old credit card and printer to run the card. You know those things where you put the credit card in it and then it runs the carbon paper on top of it and you slide it and it makes a copy of the card? Well, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're probably a lot younger than me. I should also note that she learns a lot of things in this film by just watching people. Like, Syl is so smart that all she needs to do is watch you drive a car or hand somebody money and automatically learn how to do that. I know handing money doesn't seem thing, but the whole th- idea of currency uh, she realizes right away. She notices that the train is going to leave and then she steals someone's bag who just happens to have like a portable TV, possibly a portable VHS player, and a lot of books for her to read. She goes on the train robbing food and money from areas of the train. When, now who did she watch to learn how to rob people? Well, she just steals random shit too, not just the food. She takes like a toilet brush, some steel wool, as well as some other random things. What is she going to make, a roaming meth lab? I'm surprised she didn't steal some Sudafred from someone on the train too then. She goes back to her stolen cabin and is met with a nice lady that she's probably going to kill later. Oh, you traveling by yourself? Yeah. What, you're 12? Someone going to meet you in Los Angeles? We'll say that you're 11, that way you only have to pay half price. Okay, so she's about 12 years old at this point in the movie, and she can beat the shit out of hobos. Man, I don't know if I want to see what she looked like when she gets older. She's liable just to tear this one a new one and move on. Back with Finch and uh, his crew, they ponder what's going, uh, what happened to their little girl. I can't believe our little girl did this. She's not a little girl. DNA typing and material found in those wounds proves it was her. She could be anywhere. Chicago, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, anywhere. We should stop all the trains. And have the railroad and local police ask a million questions we can't answer. We'll put key personnel at every stop along these lines. I want a team to track her. Hunt her down. Well, after this train of thought, we start meeting with the crew that eventually are going to be our team for this whole movie. First up is Michael Madsen's press, who is giving his cat to, I guess, his cat lady-looking neighbor to watch over. Sure, single old women love cats, as do crazy hunter-killer people, I guess. Then we get to meet my favorite acted character in the movie, Dan, played by Forrest Whitaker. 
Now, it's not that he's so good. He's just really the only one that has any emotion to his role, even though his emotion is that of a, well, a weirdo. Still having problems with the people at work? They put the finger on me saying, I'm the weird one. I'm the strange one. Why? Because I have feelings? Because I feel? There's someone at the door. I won't answer that. Whoever it is, they can come back at the end of the hour. That's for me. Sorry, I have to interrupt. We need your help, Dan. I know. Uh, gotta go. And we'll be learning a little more about him in just a minute. I should also note at this part, with a lot of the clips, uh, I had to go in there and cut out a lot of dead air. So if you hear little weird jumps, that's primarily the reason why. Uh, and also, they were extremely low, so I kind of bumped them up a little bit in terms of sound. And hopefully, eh, they're not too loud for you. Well, after meeting Dan, we'll go back to Syl uh, dreaming on the tr uh, train. She's having some weird dream of like an alien train coming to devour. You know, first it's a nightmare about aliens fucking, and now it's about an alien being eaten by some weird alien train. These are some weird dreams, or I guess nightmares, that this kid has. She wakes up in a panic and knows that her body is starting to change. And by change, I mean bubbling and basically scaring the shit out of her. I guess there's no alien mom out there to give her the talk about how in every female alien's life, she goes through a cocoon larva stage that looks like someone's hung a gyro in the window of a restaurant. Well, after she goes through this change, I'm sure that she'll start talking, having her alien periods, not necessarily talking about them. And I do realize that the alien train in this scene is really about how she's going to transform on the train. It doesn't make much sense at first, but as you kind of look into it, that's my interpretation of what that dream is. And really also, I shudder at the thought about hearing her talk or anybody talk about alien periods. Not that I'm grossed out, it's just not something I want in my sci-fi movie. Well, once she's cocooned up, we go back and start meeting the rest of the crew. Press surveys the group like a douchebag at a frat party, and we get to learn a little more about what Dan exactly is. Well, I guess we all must be here for the same reason, whatever that is. I'm Dan Smithson, and I don't know why I'm here either, but um, they say they needed me and that it was very important, so I came. What do you do, Dan? I am an empath. Sometimes they show me awful things that people have done, and then I try to tell them why they did it. So he's one of those weirdos that can feel out people, kind of like a psychic, but based more on emotions and that connection. That's how it kind of plays out in this film, more of the psychic side than the emotional, though. When you meet a normal empath, they can just kind of relate to everybody's feelings. But in this, it's really like he knows and he can sense where she's at and where she's going or what this person's feeling or what that person's feeling without really knowing or talking to these people. We also get to meet the rest of this ragtag assembled crew with Alfred Molina's Stephen Arden and Marge Helgenberger's Laura Baker. Uh, Stephen Arden, Harvard Anthropology Department, expert in cross-cultural behavior. Laura Baker, hi, molecular biologist, hi. And who are you and what do you do? Preston Lennox, here. I think the shit has definitely hit the fan. 
So this ragtag crew consists of an empath, two doctors, uh, a scientist in Fitch, and whatever the fuck press is. Is he some sort of like soldier of fortune that only brings back dead people? Or is he some sort of assassin that we never hear the backstory of? Who cares? They're all just generic people for the story with the ex- exception of Dan. Well, we go back to the train and that poor lady who helped Sill out earlier returns to the cabin only to find that giant gyro cocoon up against the wall. Damn it, get the hell out of there. I told you they were going to... Oh, well, there she goes. Killed by Sill, who is now birthed from her cocoon like she's exing some sort of giant vagina, yet she's tastefully cropped as to not show anything. She takes the woman's stuff and we go back to the crew, with Fitch finally explaining everything that's actually going on. Good evening. I'm Xavier Fitch. I'm in charge of this operation. Would you sit a little closer, please? In November of 1974, a small group from SETI, S-E-T-I, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, used the radio dishes at Arecibo to send out a message to whoever might be listening. They sent about a quarter of a kilobyte, including structure of human DNA, map of our solar system, population of the Earth, helpful facts like that. Okay, hold on here for a second. So this film has to explain almost everything after it says it. Sometimes once in the same sentence, sometimes twice. SETI was kind of explained a bit in the title card of the movie, and now we get to hear what it is again by Fitch, just in case we didn't read it fast enough. Well, anyway, Fitch, let's continue on. In January of 1993, Arecibo received a message back. From an extraterrestrial, unknown source. That's great. Intelligent life beyond this planet. Yes. There were two distinct communications. The first message turned out to be a superior catalyst for methane. We now have the potential to produce an infinite amount of energy from this clean-burning fuel. This convinced us that we were dealing with a friendly intelligence. The second message turned out to be a new sequence of DNA with a rather friendly instructions on how to combine it with ours. Here's some technical data on the whole operation. You can get feedback on it from Dr. Baker here. Basically, the new combined DNA sequence was injected into 100 human ova. So wait, clean bearding fuel that we're not even using, and that's just kind of passed over like it's nothing? Hey, well, we got this clean burning fuel that no one can fucking have. Then it's like, okay, you sent us something good. Sure, we'll mix our DNA with this genome that you sent over. It's fine, not like it's going to turn out bad or anything, right? We got seven to divide. Four petered out. Two were stored in liquid nitrogen. And we allowed one to grow. That's its code name there, so it's after two hours, one day. Two days. Oh, my God. This growth is amazing. It's a week. It's a girl. Again, you see how fast that shit is growing, and you don't bother to stop it uh, going all the way to full life? I know it's for science, but come on. Even I know this isn't a good thing. That shit's growing like a motherfucker on speed. Once you try to take it down, there ain't no stopping it without fire or a fucking taser. At the end of that clip, Dan points out that the fetus, 
as much as he can tell for some reason, is a woman. The crew asks why it was made to actually be a woman. Yes, I... We decided to make it female so that it would be more docile and controllable. More docile and controllable, huh? Well, I guess you guys don't get out much. <laughs> oh, oh my god, you got him there. And the delivery outline? Man, I thought you were sleeping through this movie before, but Press, you fucking nailed it. You know, a side note, the whole time that Fitch is talking about this and showing the video, he's got this, like, piece of shit controller in his hand. It looks like they took one of those really shitty 3DO controllers and not one of the ones that look like game pads and just added some buttons that it, yeah, that, that shit looks good. Yeah, let's go with that. There's some really good d- design choices in this film. Hell, the transformation scene of uh, her turning into a cocoon looked really good for 1995. But that shit just looks out of place and even dated for this film. Also, if you notice for a moment, Fitch said, I, and then he said, we, chose to make it a woman. Which means that he had direct involvement in the creation of this being. So maybe there is some type of father-daughter connection in between them. Fitch, you know, the unemotional asshole that Sir Kingsley plays him as, asks the dim-witted press whether or not he knows exactly what's going on which i guess is also a way to make the dim-witted audience exactly understand what he just said oh i think so you created a monster with some kind of formula you got from outer space the damn thing got away and now you want us to hunt it down and kill it now, is that pretty close i guess see this is another explanation that we don't necessarily need we know that they've created this team here together. They know We know because we've seen it, she's gotten lost. She's killed twice now. And what do you think they're going to try to do? So it, it's, it's a, to get them to realize what's going on. And in case you guys in the audience over there didn't understand what was happening, here's the explanation for the layman's. That's just the way I feel. Whether or not that was actually true, this is just what this film does over and over again, even when it uses bigger words, and it kind of drives me crazy. We now cut to L.A., where Syl is getting off the train, dressed in the poor ticket lady's clothes. Now, that lady was a pretty big lady, and wouldn't those clothes be, like, very loose and not very form-fitting like they are here in the fucking film? Maybe she managed to watch someone uh, tailor from the train and managed to fit it to her body type. Well, either way, she gets off the train and we cut back to the crew, now looking at the cocoon whilst after Syl has left. Dan, of course, sees the obvious. Something bad happened here. Oh, shit. Hey, asshole, that's my line. Well, they also find out that a lot of food has been consumed by Syl and it's laying around, and they assume that she's making up for a new change into a woman. Dim-witted press, well, at least according to Fitch, figures out what she's done with the dead lady stuff and then he clues in Fitch's crew on what they should be doing. Get the conductor's ID and credit card numbers on your computer. There's no sign of him on the train. Let's assume she took him with her. I'll see to that. The crew then realizes that L.A. is a pretty big place, and Arden gives his thoughts on how he perceives L.A. She kills it, she feels threatened. And she has no remorse about it. Of course, Los Angeles is perfect for her. It's the city of the future. Anything goes. Totally mobile population, everyone's a stranger. 
Very little in this town is taboo or unacceptable. Whatever she does, no one's going to notice. You're up? Well, whatever. So, Los Angeles is where the battle's going to be fought. And one. Ooh, the way that line is delivered is fucking boring. Also, you can hear Dan in the beginning. He has that empathic relationship with her where he can tell that she kills if she's threatened. And they kind of just gloss over that. And they do that at a lot of things in this movie. And also, really, tell me how you really feel about Los Angeles. It has a lot of nice things, but the city of the future? This is 1995. The L.A. Rams have just left the city, and they've just experienced a Northridge Bridge earthquake in 1994. The O.J. trial also happened in 94, but does that make it the city of the future? It's, oh, they're so free and whatever. No, fuck you. That was San Francisco in in the fucking 60s. Now, all of a sudden, it's L.A. Well, enough about ranting about Los Angeles. We see Syl now looking for some new duds and trying to be beautiful. She goes into some, what looks to be like a wedding dress shop, and grabs a god-awful dress. And luckily, she isn't robbed by the person by the counter. When the lady asks her for some money to pay for it, she just throws a bunch of wads of uh, different bills on the counter. And I guess, see, people in L.A. aren't out to rob an unsuspecting alien. That's good, right? City of the future? Well, she wears that dress out, and she uses the fanny pack as an accessory, just begging to be robbed, and almost gets hit by a car going into a motel. I'm not sure why it's shown, but it's probably because she's seeing kids everywhere she's going. I guess when your alien biological clock is ticking, you see kids everywhere. This is also a fuck motel. You know the kind of place that you go to to possibly catch some sort of disease from a hooker? Oh, you don't know of that place? Well, I, um, uh... Hey, look, there's the first set of boobs in this movie. And it's on the screen of a TV while she's starting to relax. She's so enthralled with the Skinamax that's playing, and I guess this is how she learns how to fuck? Or what sex is? I mean, she learned how to do everything else so far by watching people, and what better way to be good in the sack than watching other people on TV? Back with the crew, Laura wants to know if they could possibly look at a version of the eggs that they didn't carry to full birth. Well, she wants to see what the DNA structure and how the the monster reacts. So Fitch sends them to a conveniently placed lab that's close by the hotel where they're staying in Los Angeles. In the lab, Laura, or possibly the embryo, uh, breaks the camera that's in the cleaning room, forcing Press and her to go in there and replace it. While in there, the embryo starts to grow at an extremely fast rate, prompting Dan to realize what's going on. The new alien begins to grow, and when they realize they can't contain it because Press stupidly dropped a screw, Fitch refuses them to let them out of the room. room. Press, look! Come on! Uh Get out of here! Open the goddamn door! I can't let you out of here! Open the door now! You you gotta let him out. Can't do that! Open up the fucking door! Let us out! Tell me he's gonna stop growing, then. Somebody's gonna stop throwing Let him out! Open up the door! Press! Press! What the fuck is that? Come on, get to the other door! Let her out, bitch! Get her out, Press! Let her out! I can't do that! You motherfucker! You let her out! You gotta let them out, bitch! Get out of the way! Get out of the way! Get out of the way! 
Why does this seem like a rejected scene from Clue? Let us out, let us out, let us in, let us in, let us out, let us out, let us in, let us in. Also, you have probably the most emotionally charged acting from anybody in this film in this scene. And eventually, the lab tech actually teaches Press how to use the oxygen line in the room and turning it on the open flame to turn it into a flamethrower. And they're actually able to get out of the room after also stabbing the alien and seeing it uh, grow up the wall. Dan actually was the one that manages to let them out. And when they finally get out and they close the door, they fry the entire room, killing this new alien. Fitch tells them that it was protocol, and the two of them just seem like they're happy enough to get out of there alive, but they're still really pissed that Fitch almost burned them to fucking death. Well, after this scene, we get to go back to a silky panty shot? Oh, oh, hello, there's the first time that we get to see Sil's boobs. They have those, like, 90s boob look, though I'm not sure I'm doing them justice. It looks like she's changed to go out for a nine on the town, and we did see, even though she bought that ugly dress, she actually went and bought more stuff around town. Now, why we need to see this nude scene, I really don't know, but she's dressed for the prowl. She even has the nerve to ask the guy running the front desk, Where's a good place to find a man? Well, there's plenty of guys at the end around the corner. It's a club. You won't have any trouble meeting somebody there. Well, I guess a club is as good of a place to find some man meat, so let's go there. She gets into the club without paying or winning in line, and I guess that's what a pink outfit does for you and the fact that you're a relatively attractive-looking hybrid human alien. And what the fuck are those things dancing around on the inside? What kind of club is this? This isn't the club of the future. People are wearing these weird fucking white leotards and dance like spazzes while people just stand around not doing anything. This is the worst type of club for LA. At least those people should be in cages or somewhat nude. She tries to go after one man at the bar, but is cut off by some other whore going after that guy. Listen lady, don't mess with her or you're going to end up like the lady that was nice to her on the train. She don't give a fuck about you. In fact, Syl follows her to the bathroom, and the lady has the audacity to say to her, Whatever it takes, right? Hey, I'll spare another war. <laughs> bitch, Syl will- Oh, shit! She snapped this bitch in half from behind while she's sitting on the toilet. What's with Syl breaking people's spines in weird ways? You don't kill anyone while they're on the toilet, either. That's just plain rude, don't you know? She goes out and then snags some other dude from the crowd and manages to leave right before our crew shows up. They manage to follow the stolen credit card trail to the motel and the guy at the front desk is able to tell him where she is before Dan can even sense her. Come on, Dan, I thought you were better than this. I know that he knows where she went because he's the one that told her to go there, but you should be able to track her down before someone else comes and tries to take your job. Well, while interviewing people at the club, Press and crew figure out that Syl won't go for someone who's really... We're looking for a friendly guy, not a total asshole. Yeah, a total asshole. Well, this bouncer points him out to this guy who took her home, saying that he's a pretty good dude. Oh, so you're telling me she only likes nice dudes with fancy cars? I mean, they both got into his Beamer, then they drove into the hills. What else could she be going for? Well, we go to the dude's house, where he's jumped in the shower and... 
Holy crap, there's more boobs. I believe this was at the point in the film where I began my descent onto the floor. She starts making out with this guy, and she starts then to back off, and she wants to leave. Of course, the nice guy that he is tries to force himself upon her. Can you drive me back? What are you talking about? You knew what we came here for. I've changed my mind. All right. You said no. It's duly noted. Come here. I said I want to go. Too late, babe. You're not leaving. I said you're not leaving. Yeah, he's a really nice guy, right? That's a good stand-up guy. Such a stand-up dude who says, or even when she says no, wants to force himself upon her. At least she took him out with a tentacle through the skull and not by breaking his back like the others. There's another shower scene, yet again another shower scene, and it, I should say with the first shower scene that we had, it was the dude inside the shower, but you still didn't see anything, though I think you saw pubes. I'm not quite sure. I wasn't trying to pay attention to what was going on. But again, Scylla's naked, cleaning off the blood on her as we're to believe that press and crew have starred to enter the dude's place. I do have to say that the dead guy's body at least looks happy. I mean, I guess it isn't a terrible way to go. Feeling up a hot chick, only get impaled through the skull. There's what I guess is a jump scare, and the crew all surrounds the dead guy on the floor. They begin to what she's done in a very long explanation. What's happening? Kills a girl at the club, comes home with this guy, kills him. Well, I'd say she fits the classic definition of a psychopath. She's got nothing to inhibit her. No moral sense, no social structure. Well, she wasn't exactly smothered with a mother's love or taught good manners, you know what I mean? I asked what was happening. He did something to her. She was angry. She'll kill if she feels threatened. She'll kill anyone that gets in her way. Gets in her way of what? Her life cycle. I think she's trying to mate. Reproduce. Okay. So why did she kill the girl at the club? Sexual competition. She's pretty hard on the competition. And now she's managed to mate. Doesn't look like a successful mating to me. Still got his pants on. She's frustrated. Who isn't? What is her problem? He was here, she was here. All right, maybe she rejected him. She probably has some special kind of senses. Rats can sense diseased or genetic damage in their potential mates. So we can test his body for any hereditary diseases, any defects that would have made him a loser, essentially. Needles. Maybe he was some kind of a doper, a diabetic. Yeah, well, either way would have made him unacceptable. Excuse me. All right. Insulin. Diabetic. There you have it. Well, she could have just walked out. Why did she have to kill him? Well, I guess he pissed her off. Some men don't like to be rejected. They get insistent. Put an APB out in this guy's car. It's already happened. We'll go back to the motel. I want to check it out thoroughly. So, okay, there's a couple things that went on during that scene. One of my favorite parts is Ben Kingsley, where he's like... Well, she's here, he's here, she just wants to have a baby, so why did they just fuck? And, of course, it's more like she's doing natural selection, right? So she wants to make sure that she finds a guy that's, I don't know, I wouldn't say flawless, but good enough to be strong enough to give his seed over so that she can have a healthy, strong baby. And the fact that she didn't want to be with this guy because he was a diabetic and he had flaws, I mean, it makes her a fucking judgmental bitch. You know... Laura also manages to find some, oh god, menstrual blood on the toilet. <laughs> oh, and we get this, another scene of two aliens naked, 
doing it doggy style because why not? I mean, again, that's just her like biological clock ticking in the back of her head. And instead of it saying, you want a baby, you want a baby, it gives you nightmares of another alien fuck you. What's wrong with that, right? You know, seriously, I mean, it's kind of what they make the or the film makes her good for. She's only really good for reproduction. You know, I'd make a joke here, but, well, you know. So Syl wakes up from this dream, only to be found in the dude's beamer, with the side of the car really fucked up. I guess even alien women drive like assholes. She starts to drive away, and shortly thereafter she runs out of gas. Yes, though you have watched how to drive the car, and poorly I might add, you didn't watch the point when the gas is needed to keep that thing going. She gets out of the car and starts her man scanner, only this time to be hit by a car. I guess that first car was foreshadowing for this one. I must say, she takes it like a champ, but she's still knocked out and thrown directly into a bus stop. A guy that kind of looks like Willem Dafoe, but younger and I guess kind of cuter, gets out of his car and pulls his dinosaur of a cell phone out to call for the ambulance. Well, that might not have been a cell phone, it could have been a car phone, but man, that thing was fucking huge. It's like when you look back at like Miami Vice back in the days and they're using their wireless. So back at the lab or hotel or where the fuck they are, the crew is trying to enhance video from the motel to get a better visual on what she looks like. They claim that the technology is not very good, but you can clearly see that it's her when they zoom in. I mean, that's pretty good technology for 1995, let alone nowadays. You can't even catch a robber properly these days, but I can get a pretty good visual of Seal back in 1955. Dan also comes to realization that... She wants to have a baby. Well, if she manages to have a child, our problems have just started. Yes, as we haven't figured that out from everything that's been going on. Arden also believes... You see, when a predator is introduced into a closed ecological system, the extinction of the weaker species is inevitable. So basically, she's going to fuck around, create a bunch of spawns, and then that'll allow her species to wipe all of us out? Yeah, you know, I do want Snoo Snoo. That might not be a bad deal. Well, back at the hospital, we learned that a guy, well, Willem Dafoe, he called for the ambulance and he now has the hots for Syl and decides to pay all her medical expenses for her. Don't you realize that she's just going to kill you once you try to get some? Man, people are just a sucker for a half-alien hybrid that only want to bang in order to exterminate the human race. The nerve of those people. Well, in the ER, she's getting looked at by the doctors when suddenly her super wolverine healing powers kick in and fix her right up. The doctor is in awe of what's going on, but a nurse rushes in to get him into surgery so he can help some kid. I know it's kind of wrong to say, but didn't that nurse know that she was really messed up and she shouldn't be worried about the fact that the mangled body that came in just healed itself and is walking out the door? I mean, she seems to be totally oblivious to the fact that Syl, who had some pretty bad injuries, is totally healed, totally fine. And the doctor has his jaw open, and he's like, what the fuck's going on? And she's like, dude, you need to get into surgery because there's a kid that needs to do it. But you didn't see fucking Wolverine or Deadpool over here fucking get up and just walk out of the door. Well, Syl goes back into the main area of the hospital, and she meets, uh, well, I would say Defoe, 
but really this lookalike's name is John Kerry. Eh. It, it kind of it's funny because I know at the time, you know, not many people probably knew who he was, but in my mind when I heard it, I was like, oh, presidential hopeful is a dude that wants to bang an alien. Well, guess what she wants to do? She wants him to take her home. And it's at this point in the film that I came to two revelations. The first being that Forrest Whitaker, at this point, has almost as many lines as Natasha Henstridge does. And with more lines that she's given, the worse she acts and the weirder Forrest gets with his lines. So, and Forrest Whitaker definitely has more lines going in there, but it just seems like the way that we see both sides... Everything's kind of a reaction. We see what she does, and then we come back and we get something from them. So, if she speaks, which she really shouldn't, like she should have had smaller roles before she did this film, uh, you know, the worse her acting gets. But, like, the facial expressions are pretty good. So, hey, we'll get more into that later. There's also some light flirting that goes on between Carrie and Syl. And then we get to go back to the hospital with the crew. They figure out who paid for her medical bills and that he's no, uh, that he's going to be in danger. My third revelation of this movie occurred here. That this team is built of the biggest cock blockers the world has ever seen. All they want to do is stop her from getting knocked up and some dude from getting laid. So John Kerry and Syl are now in his hot tub starting to get it on. Man, there's a lot more boob here and she's getting super frisky. I guess he's the guy that she wants to use. She tries to take off his pants, but he's not going that far right now. He hears Press and Laura come to the door when they knock, and she tries to keep him in the hot tub with her. That's where she outright tells him that, you know, she wants. I think someone's at the door. Don't go. Please. I want a baby. What? Excuse me? That's the natural reaction for somebody that tells you that they want a baby at on the first time that you want to bang. And now in watching all these people, you should know that saying you want a baby when somebody is just looking for a hookup is a surefire way to not have your night end in sex. That's where we get one of the scenes from the trailer of her kind of turning into a bit of an alien while drowning poor Mr. Carey. Tentacles start to come out of her body as she goes full alien. Wait, wait, wait. I've seen those tentacles before. In some other type of movie. Oh, I know where this is going, and usually that's not a dude that's about to be violated. So, now that poor old Carrie's all dead from tentacle love, Syl evades both Press and Laura as they come into the house. They follow her to the backyard, only to have her get away and give us a jump scare involving a squirrel. It's actually kind of well done, and I have to say that in the theater, I believe I would have jumped here, not so much. The rest of the crew catch up. I don't understand why they're always the last to come to the, these fucking incidences. Uh, and we learn that Cell has yet another weird power. We're all beat. We'll go back to the hotel and get some rest. Tomorrow night, we'll go back to the club. Stick it out. Uh, she's not stupid. She's not gonna repeat herself. There's no point going back there. It provided a poor specimen. I'm not so sure. Look, she's been in the city two days. It's what she knows. And I'd rather try the club than sit around the command center reminiscing about how close we got. 
Now she's able to control people's minds? What the fuck? Could it be a bond between Fitch because he provided some of his DNA to make her? Or is it that we're seeing an ability that she'll never use again because it was only to move this scene along? We then cut to Press and Laura going back in the car and then we witness the start of a love connection. 1735 Meander Drive, Simi Valley, California. That's you, right? Last time I checked. What do you do for kicks out there in Simi Valley? Oh, pine for guys like you. Okay, seriously? We're doing this now? Like, really? I mean, it's supposed to be some sort of juxtaposition of their need to be intimate and close to another human being, or her, and her need to just fucking reproduce, or is it just lady writing that says, we need to have some sort of love story in this fucking movie? Fuck you, Hollywood, for this bullshit. I'm, I just, it doesn't need to be thrown in there. It's another situation where you could have just kept moving the movie along, but you decided to try to make some deep-rooted connection between the humans in the story and what the aliens need is. I'm not buying it. Let's just move on. We then see Syl preparing to what looks like plan her own death. I mean, who did she watch to do this? Are we changing the rules of her learning all of a sudden? Before she had to see someone hand out cash to pay for stuff, or watch someone shift their car into gear in order to learn how to drive, but she can just plan her own death just fine? Well, I guess her little girl's all grown up now. She's also learned that she can regrow stuff, so she cuts off a piece of her thumb in front of some lady that she's captured, and then proceeds to cut that lady's thumb as well. See what I mean? Where did she learn this? Has she been watching movies? Did she suddenly go back? Oh, I'm going to watch The Godfather and Goodfellas and maybe I can have some good ideas about how to torture people or how to fake my own death. Well, back at the club, we're seeing more flirting between Laura and Press when Dan eventually goes outside by himself and we get a bum scare. I guess he kind of felt something and he decided to go check out what's going on out there. And, you know, again, that scare... Might have been decent in a movie theater, but here it just doesn't quite work. This also leads him into seeing Syl, and he he runs back to the club, shouting that he's here. Magically, that works, and they're able to hear him over all the noise of the club and run outside to chase her. I mean, seriously, the music is still pumpy, people are still dancing, clubs are fucking loud, but he can just run back in and say, she's here, she's here, and everybody hears him. Fitch yells for everybody to get into the van to chase her, but of course, Press and Laura are okay to use their own car to chase her instead. I guess that's why they're always the first on the scene, and the rest of the Scooby gang is always late. There's a long chase involving another stolen car and the kidnapped girl tied in the front seat. Eventually, Cell makes her way to the spot that she plans to blow up the car, and as she's traveling downhill, manages to escape and get out of there before the car explodes. She literally rips the door off the car and jumps out of there. Now, the funny thing about this scene is not how she leaves the car, because it is quite quite comical, but how the helicopters are following her with the light on the freaking door of the car, yet no one manages to catch the fact that she jumped out of the car before supposedly dying. Seriously, it's like no one was paying attention at all. To make sure that she's dead, the helicopter that was following her even missiles the fuck out of the spot the car blows up at to make sure that she's dead. It it boggles my mind because 
there's a couple of times in this movie where there's an obvious light just so that they have lighting for the scene and for the audience to tell what's going on but it's always somebody's light or something's light and in this case it's the helicopter that's following them and it really should have just trailed to her jumping out of the car because it's obvious she's really lit up that that's what's going on so the crew they survey the wreckage and fitch comes to the conclusion that everything is finished we block the road in both directions the press is going ape shit we've got to tell them something well you tell them what you want you just don't tell them the truth i don't buy her showing up at the club like that too damn convenient well seeing as believing or oh, don't you trust your own eyes get back get all these people back bitch you heard of bitch there's a fuel right sir the foul one looks like a severed thumb in the pocket of one of the doors that got ripped off and let me see that she may have caught it in the door trying to get out Get it over to the lab. If it's hers, it'll check out. It'll be genetically identifiable. It's all over, everyone. Tomorrow you can go back to your lives. Congratulations on a job well done. Now, doesn't it sound like everyone is just like half awake during their lines in this scene? It's like this for the whole fucking movie. The only one that really sounds like you give half of two shits is Forrest Whitaker, though even his acting is kind of shitty in this film. Also, the fact that the thumb is in the pocket of the door, they blew it up with fucking missiles, and yet the thumb survives. I do realize that she knocked off the door, and she probably put on the door that she knocked off, but how is it that that one door is fine by itself, and the car was probably blown to shit? Uh, You know, at this point also, I'm guessing that this movie should have been called Paycheck instead of Species. (sighs) Well, to celebrate the good job, everyone goes back to the bar at the hotel, and we have a chummy scene with the crew. Well, I guess we won. We won. Science lost. I didn't think we'd get her this way. Not that easy. You sound like you're going to miss her. Yeah, well, I guess I will. I think I respected her. Look, I know this has been a hellish job, you know, but I've... I've really enjoyed working with you three, and seeing as Uncle Sam's buying the drinks, why don't we have another round? Eh? Waiter! I don't... I don't drink, Art. Oh, don't worry, Dan, tonight you will. This scene really makes no sense, as you rarely see them all together. You just see these little vignettes of them interacting, but everyone is like they're the best of friends. We've spent more time watching Syl do her thing than these guys doing theirs. It's always some sort of reaction to the thing that she's just done, and then all of a sudden it cuts to these guys going through what she's done. There's some more god-awful dialogue, a scene where Press thinks that some chick is her, even a little tiff between Laura and Press that will surely go somewhere. Dan is getting drunk for the first time, mistaking Long Island iced teas for having real tea in them. Ha 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 ha. And you kind of see Finch seating in the wings, looking like a creepster at this point. Just kind of staring at everybody with this blank Ben Kingsley face. Eventually, Press goes upstairs to try to see if Laura wants to bang. Arden tries to hit on some college chicks. And Syl, now with her hair dyed uh, as a brunette and a brand new dress, she follows Press upstairs to where Laura is. They even share an awkward scene in the elevator where Cell is 
basically trying to weakly seduce Press since she had a dream about him and believes that she's the, that he's the mate that she should have. So no long after getting to Laura's room, she pulls in Press and they start having their fuck section. Hey, we even get to see a new pair of boobs for a quick second as Laura pulls down Press's boxers before they get it on. Cell herself sneaks into the next room and kind of listens in on to what they're doing, and we find out shortly that it's actually Arden's room. He returns after being rejected by two college-age ladies who happen to have boyfriends, only to actually find Cell sitting in his room. Well, not really sitting, she's standing in there. Not knowing that it's Cell, she seduces him really easily by basically taking off her shirt, showing her boobs, and saying that she saw him out there in the the bar and she just knew that she had to fuck him there's some more awkward teenager watching this film scenes with his parents uh and there's this uh, soft chorus sex scene between arden and sell at which point they finish and proclaim cell proclaims to feel life i felt it what started what started life oh, oh my darling girl I, I know in some cultures women believe they know the exact moment of conception but really don't you believe me feel oh shit it's really that fast i should also mention here that this is this is, was the most awkward scene with the folks because it truly is a soft core sex scene. You actually have her on top of Alfred Molina and she's gyrating with him. So I assume he's wearing a cock sock because I don't know what man who is acting and would have her on top of you that they wouldn't get a boner and they wouldn't possibly do something. And I can imagine also at the same time how many times they had to shoot this scene over and over again. And I would have been totally okay with it, to be honest with you. But again, it's an awkward situation when that scene's going on and next to you is your mom and next to her is your dad. And they're both at that point looking over at you while this movie's going on. So we also find out that Dan, before Arden knocks Cell up with his semen and her super eggs, she real or I should say he realizes that Cell was actually in the room with Arden, but he didn't want to interrupt because he didn't know what she would do. So he goes over and instead tells Laura and Press what's going on. Well, even after getting pregnant, she fucking kills Arden anyway. He still would have died, but. At least the bitch wouldn't be having a baby or wouldn't be pregnant. Dan, you gotta think things through first. I know you're probably a little drunk and you don't understand what's going on, but you know that you don't want her to have sex and you don't want her to get pregnant. So interrupt. Maybe she kills him. Maybe she kills you, but you save the day. And she escapes anyway, and they chase her uh, through the hotel. They go down into the parking lot and eventually find out that she's gone underneath the hotel. Uh, on her way to the sewers, she kills a poor maintenance worker, and Fitch, Laura, Press, and Dan now follow her into the depths below. It's at this point, when they come to kind of like a crossroads underneath the, the building in the sewers, that Dan has seemingly lost his empathic powers 
to find her, which pisses Fitch off. Which way do you think she went, Dan? Here. Think about it, for Christ's sake, you're supposed to have some extrasensory powers that can tell us the sort of thing. Which way did she go? Which way did she go, Dan? Which way did she go? I don't know. Which way did she go? She went that way. You think? Well, that's good enough for me. You think she went that way? You don't fucking know, do you? You don't fucking know. I'm going this way. You come with me. Come with me, Dan. I swear this is the only sense of emotion that Ben Kingsley has shown as Fitch in the entire film. So they split up, and Cell jumps out of the water to deal with her daddy issues and kill Fitch, which, by the way, is in the goddamn trailer, so you know he gets it already. And now the three caballeros chase her into a random opening that has a lake of oil and many rocky crags. At this point, we also do get a good look at the makeup for Cell the alien, and as a practical effect, it's not terrible. But when she's full CG, well, let's just say it still looks better than Godzilla from Godzilla 1998, and this is 1995. You can see kind of a clip of it on the Facebook page. Uh, I did pull a little bit of this movie, and probably the, one of the bigger climactic scenes, just so that you can get a good look at what the alien actually looks like. We also get a really disturbing scene of Syl giving birth to her new son, who I'll call Bastard because, well, she made him that way. She killed his dad. Press chases after Syl, uh, leaving Dan and Laura to fend for themselves. Dan sees something in the dis- distance and decides to leave Laura all by herself in case Syl comes and tries to kill her. What a stand-up guy Dan is. Well, what Dan actually saw was Bastard who is happily now chomping down on a rat. Well, he sees the rat, he lashes out his tongue, and then he starts eating the rat. Let's just say it how it is. Bastard at that point also starts growing awkwardly and turns on, oh, what the fuck is that thing? It's like, fuck, I really don't know. It's almost like a spider-type creature, but because it's growing all weird and faster than Syl, I might add, it's coming at them all deformed. It's got a really weird face. It doesn't quite look like Sill. It looks something totally different. Uh, and it it's really weird and deformed. I mean, you're going to have to go look for stills of this guy. Because I can't do it justice. Dan does manage to set Bastard on fire. But in doing so and throwing him into the oil, he causes himself to lose balance and he ends up clinging to the edge of uh, this little cliff for his life as Bastard burns in the oil below. I need to also mention that Laura got herself stuck in the oil somehow. She was trying to go after Dan, but she got stuck and she's in the river oil. And the fire is spreading, and this is the fire that was caused by Bastard, It's spreading slowly across the lake. And when I mean slow, enough time to basically end the movie. Press tries to run to the rescue, but it's stopped by a boob tentacle. Oh no, no, not again. But he's lucky because he's got a knife. He's able to cut it off and escape. Cell jumps at him, but he shoots at her and causes her to fall in the oil lake while he and Laura go to save Dan. They begin to pull up Dan, but like a cockroach, Syl jumps up and attaches herself to Dan's leg. This gives us the best yet worst line of this movie. 
Let go, you motherfucker. It's actually a fun line. It's almost like an Arnold quote, but it's read so fucking dry that it's fucking horrible at the same time. Why would they keep that cut? Were the other ones even worse? Could he not remember it? Was he super drunk? It turns out to be very funny, but man, I wish it was delivered just a little bit better. They, of course, save Dan, and that causes Laura to ponder... She was half us, half something else. I wonder which was the predatory half. The dead half. Well, way to sell that line again, Michael. The three escape the caves, and as they leave, we see a rat pull that tentacle piece that uh, Press cut off. And I guess it's supposedly going off to eat it in its rat nest. We get another scene of the three leaving and Laura being happy to be in a sewer again. And of course with the following line of, I never thought that I'd say that. And then we get the rat, now turned alien, eating another rat. And the film ends. This isn't a terrible movie. In fact, it's almost a so bad it's good movie. There are big questions at the end, though. Is that a lake of oil going to burn forever? What about the rat? Can she just rebuild herself from piece of her like Cell from Dragon Ball Z or like Deadpool can? How did she learn how to fake her own death if the only learning on how to do anything human was by watching other humans do them? Why is everyone acting like a fucking mannequin in this movie? You have some really good actors in this movie, but it's clear that they're only doing it for the paycheck. Henstridge actually is pretty good when she's not speaking. But then again, kind of like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, she has to play something pretending to be human. So I get the reactions that she has, and the fact that maybe her lines are drier than everybody else. And when I say like Keanu in The Matrix, Keanu always acts like he doesn't understand what's going on, and The Matrix turned out to be a perfect role for him, because that character didn't know what the hell was going on. Also, why is this movie so close to softcore porn? I have no problem with nudity, but seriously, it's not advertised as this type of movie. Yep, here we are. We see a sex scene between her and someone I never like to see in that position again. The pacing is actually pretty good, and the effects are pretty decent from the time, but the acting is just complete shit. Michael Madsen and Ben Kingsley just deliver their lines like they're half awake or drunk. In fact, there's one scene where I swear that Michael Madsen looks at the camera and laughs, not because he's supposed to, but because he finds the whole thing really absurd, or what was said caught him off guard and that happened to be the best take that they had for the movie so overall i give the craft factor of this movie a three out of five mainly for the acting the gore is a four out of five as the effects are pretty darn good looking 
And the fun factor is a 3 out of 5, where some better acting could have made the cheesy lines a lot more enjoyable. So in summation, I gave this movie 3 boob tentacles out of 5. If the actors just enjoyed themselves more, I feel this could have been a better film. It's not as bad as I remembered, but there's still way too much focus on the sexy times of Syl. And I should also add to this that, you know... I said a little, just a little second ago, it's almost a so bad it's good. Because there are some really entertaining things that happen in this movie. And uh, I want to explain the other part, too, about the actors maybe enjoying themselves more. Like, it really felt like some of them just didn't want to be there. Alfred Molina, you know, his his acting was fine. I don't think I had any problem. Forrest Whitaker, it just was a weird role in the way that he presented himself. He hadn't turned into quite the actor that he is nowadays. Uh, I think he's a much better actor now than when he first came upon the scene. Even though a lot of people are like the crying game, you know, he's really good in that. But here, he's just not quite there. And um, the the actress who played Laura... Um, you know, she actually kind of gave it her all, too. She had some really quippy lines, and she did a pretty good job, but still it seemed kind of wooden. So, uh, I would definitely recommend that you watch this movie if you haven't seen it in a long time, like myself. You'll definitely enjoy it. There'll be parts that you'll like. Um, I didn't like it as much, but I also have a stigma behind it because of the whole experience and trying to explain to my folks, hey... I really didn't know that there was going to be so much sex uh, and nudity in this film, uh, especially for something from 1995. Nowadays, you would take this movie, it would be rated PG-13, you'd take all the sex out of it. There would still be sexy times, but there wouldn't be like the nudity and stuff, and it'd be kind of off-camera, and you'd see some of the deaths, and they'd do some other little things, but this definitely would be a PG-13 movie nowadays if they tried to remake it. Uh, and I do respect the fact that, you know, it was an R movie. It does have R-rated gore in it. Um, and it's got some neat ideas. And it's got some neat ways that it sets up the, the ideas of the film. And if they just explored some of those ideas more, I probably would have liked this movie a lot better. But instead, it does fall into a bad horror movie. If it was just a sci-fi movie, it'd be great. I think it would be fine, and they could have expanded that. But because they tried to make certain things relatable as a horror movie, um, it just kind of fell flat. So, our next episode, I've got a very special treat. Um, And, you know, every once in a while, I like to get suggestions. Uh, Actually, I love getting suggestions from people. And I got one um, from someone, uh, and they actually sent me their friend's... uh, movie to watch and review so uh let's listen to the trailer what's wrong i don't know if i'm ready for this you're ready i know that i am because if you're not madison's going to find us and then you're going to be her prey I don't think you want that to happen, do you? No, I don't. Relax. The blood feed a sense when you're afraid of them and when you're not. And they know when your faith is powerful. (laughs) 
Vampires? What the hell are you on, Ben? Vampires. Vampires are alive and well in our society today. People just deny it just to hide it. Is it just me? Are people in this apartment vanishing? Yeah, they are. What do you guys think is happening to them? Does seem strange, doesn't it? Now, this is an indie production that was made by Eric Herrera, and it's called Shadow of the Vampire. And this is the type of movie that I've been wanting to review on this podcast, and we'll take an in-depth look at it. It is available on YouTube for free, and has a modest runtime of about 55 minutes. A big thank you to Ito. Uh, he is at X-Files 2000 on Twitter for this movie suggestion. I would definitely check it out before you listen to the next podcast, as this might be something new for everybody, and I kind of don't want to ruin it for you. It is very low budget. It was all done uh, primarily by Eric, uh, and I look forward to watching this film. Uh, it was He released it uh, October of last year, and depending on how this goes, he's got another one that's out there that's a little bit longer of a running time, and maybe we'll check out that one too. But for right now, we're going to check out Shadow of the Vampire. And as always, you can find the podcast on Twitter. It's at T underscore T underscore podcast. You can check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash terrible terror podcast. And you can always send your movie ideas over to us, either uh, say by tagging us in a Twitter post, or if you want to send us an email, it's a terrible terror podcast at gmail.com or posting on our Facebook page. Uh, it would also be great if you could uh, like and review us on things like iTunes, Spreaker, uh, Stitcher, um, or Blueberry. Uh, we're available on all of those platforms, and reviews will help us get seen more, will help this podcast, I should say, be seen more. Uh, and it'd be great if we could reach a, a wider audience. But I appreciate everybody that does listen, uh, and every week... Um, or every two weeks, I should say, uh, you know, I love seeing that people have been enjoying this podcast. Uh, and also, you can also listen to the It Be Like That podcast uh, with my co-host, Patrick. Uh, and that is also available on the same platform, Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, Blueberry, or iTunes. And we produce those every other week when this podcast is off. Thanks to everybody. 
uh, that listened. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, please contact me, uh, and I will get back to you right away. Uh, We'll see you next time. Peace. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.